Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you again for this season and how around the world people are thinking about your birth. We pray that many souls have been touched this season, not just here in Sedona, but throughout the world as they think about you coming to, in the form of a baby, the word made flesh to live among us, to show us the love of God, to redeem us. We thank you and praise you. Now be with us, Lord, as we go through this um, thought about how you came to redeem us and what it means to us. Speak to our hearts. And for those who are traveling, those who are away, we ask that you'd watch over them, keep them safe, bring them back to us, Lord, safely. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Today uh, we're going to look at the um, passage from Matthew about the birth. And so if you would stand with me, and I'm going to be reading Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. We're, we'll take a... Since it's the day after Christmas, we're leaving our study of 1 Corinthians to turn to the birth of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. So if you, if you were with us when we did the study in Matthew, or if you just are familiar with the Gospel of Matthew, you know that one thing we see over and over in the Gospel of Matthew is Jesus is our perfect example. As our king, he, he lived an example for us to follow. And cer well, certainly none of us were uh, born of a virgin, and none among us came to redeem the world. And none of us comes from eternity with the Father to reveal the mystery kept hidden for the ages. Those things are unique to Jesus. But before I get to what we do see in the manger scene that, we, that is an example for us, let's first consider the big picture. And that's why I called the sermon the cosmic battle. The big picture that night that, the, that light had shone into the darkness and forever changed the world. In millenniums past, God decided to make man in his image. In our Wednesday night study, we just went through that passage about a week ago. He set him in a, in a, Adam in this wonderful environment, asking him to, to take care of it and tend it. But knowing that love is not love unless it's freely given, 
God gave man a chance to express his love through worshipful or obedience or to turn away in rebellion. He had free will. And there was just one rule in Eden. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Enter Lucifer. Knowing that love is not love unless it's tested, God allowed Lucifer to rebel. He was one of the, the most magnificent of all of God's creatures. Many theologians believe that he led the worship in heaven. Uh, a wicked desire sprang up in his heart to take the place of God, to usurp God's position. I don't know how crazy that must be, but apparently he was so magnificent, so glorious that he thought he was capable of doing it. And in, so in the process, he, he fell from his lofty position and decided to frustrate the, try to frustrate the plans of God. He would try this, if he couldn't get the worship in heaven of the angels, he would try to steal the worship of God from man on earth. And that began the cosmic battle that's raged over the souls of men from the very beginning to this day. Who will we worship? He first attacked Eve with the suggestions that implied that God was, wasn't forthright when he gave her that command, Adam the command to not eat of the tree and telling them they would surely die. He implied that God had an agenda of deception and fear. And you'll notice in life that accusations that come from people are usually something that they are guilty of. Have you ever noticed that? It's so common. Satan's treachery was able to seduce Eve into disobedience. She, in turn, led Adam astray. The image of God in man was then marred by that disobedience, and Satan took dominion that, was, that did belong to Adam, along with his rights as vice-regent of the earth. And every man descended from Adam was born with that same fallen nature that Adam had. Communion with God was limited, and a curse on man and woman and creation followed in Genesis chapter 3, 16 to 19. And because we all sin, we have to pay the consequences for that treason. The consequence is death. In the midst of all this treachery and loss of relationship, there came a glorious promise in Genesis 3, 15. I will put, this is God speaking to Eve, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. I'm sorry, he's speaking to Satan, Lucifer. One day the offspring of the woman was promised to crush the head of the serpent. He had stolen the dominion of the earth from Adam but God promised the authority, which is the headship, would one day be crushed. And so as we read the stories of the individuals in the Bible, we see this battle raging, people going one way or the other, either rebelling against God or turning towards God. Every story has that common thread. Though it seems that man has no hope or power, by acknowledging our failures and placing our trust in God, man's brought into a restored relationship with God. 
The struggle in our lives all boils down to a decision to trust God alone or to trust in ourselves. Where is our hope and our faith placed? Since Satan has dominion over the earth, all other sources we place our trust in are really worshiping him in disguise. Have you ever thought of it that way? He's receiving the worship for which he started the rebellion in the first place. Individuals like Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, and many others came to a place of trusting God with their lives, placing the victory in God's omnipotent hands. And they stand out as those who broke free from this oppressive tyranny of the control of sin over their lives and became worshipers of God. They weren't perfect, but something about them was radically altered. To, to some of those people, God reiterated the promise of this coming child that would deliver the world from the tyranny of Satan. God made a relationship with an entire nation, calling them to be his people who would demonstrate to the world a trust in God and worship him and serve him alone. The promise of that special offspring ran through the bloodlines of some in that, in that nation, including Abraham and the great king of Israel, David. Imperfect as he was and, and, and imperfect as the nation was, God would not break his promises. The promised one was coming. The prophets foretold of the downfall of the nation of Israel. They reminded them that they weren't fulfilling their side of the agreement that they had made with God. They weren't placing their trust in God and instead had turned to idols, which is thereby worshiping Lucifer. Yet the prophets began to tell of the details of this coming child, that Jim shared some of those with us, God, that God would bring a mighty victory to this ancient battle. They foretold that he would be an eternal king of a kingdom that would never end. Details of this coming king's life began to emerge. The place of his birth predicted by Micah, the place of his ministry predicted by Isaiah, and even the time and place of his death were foretold by Daniel. And as Jim said, over 300 predictions of the life and ministry of Jesus. The promises included amazing things like the end of sin, the healing of all afflictions, and bringing in everlasting righteousness. Meanwhile, the nation was miraculously restored from captivity and awaited the birth of this child. Women at that time, Jewish women at that time, would pray to become the mother of this one who was coming. Even the nations of the world Look toward Israel in expectation of a great king. Magi from the east saw this heavenly sign and began their journey to come and worship him. And though Israel was under the thumb of Rome, taxed and subjugated by that empire, the world anticipated this birth of a great king that would come from there. Lucifer had been at work in the kingdoms of the earth also. Dark and evil religions prospered the murder of one's own children, and the name of these false gods was thought to be a thing of honor. Immorality and spread disease. Citizens, I'm sorry, cities began to be quite large, making plagues and wholesale slaughter for gain 
by armies of frequent occurrence. At the same time, the Greek language spread throughout the world. A language of trade, and Rome made roads into far-off regions. Trade was on the increase, opening up distant lands. It was God's perfect time to send his salvation into the world. Now, Lucifer is not omniscient. He can't read your thoughts, thank God, <laughs> and he doesn't know the thoughts of God. He can only know what he's told or guesses. Now, he has collected a lot of wisdom throughout the ages, but there are, there's many things that are hidden from him. He surely saw the expectation in the world that many had of this coming king that would end his reign of terror, that he was about to be dealt that promised death blow to his head. But from where and when? He must have thought that this mighty one would be a prince in some palace, just waiting to reveal himself in his power. The king of the universe would surely have an army to guard him, wouldn't he? But God pulled a sneak attack on Satan. He came as a baby through a pregnant peasant woman. Lucifer wasn't expecting him to be born in a stable with an entourage of shepherds, but it was also a sneak attack on our hearts as well. Who could not relate to this little defenseless child born into poverty? Our hearts go out to him before he does or says a thing. I don't know about you, but every time we see, we have a get together and little baby Aurora's there. I just gotta hold her, she's so sweet. Little babies make us so defenseless, right? They just get right into our hearts. Here is where we have an example in his birth that can transform the way that we see our world. A baby in the hands of his father God was safe from the destroyer. This is probably the greatest picture in the world of absolute trust in the sovereignty of God. When the humble birth was discovered, Lucifer made an attempt to snuff out his life using Herod's paranoia. But before the attack was launched, God warned Joseph in a dream, and they moved to Egypt. Do we imagine ourselves more vulnerable than that baby? Do we think that Satan has more intense desire to attack us than the one who was prophesied to crush his head? If Almighty God could protect and keep baby Jesus, do you think he has any trouble watching over you and me? If Jesus had realized that he was the number, number one on Satan's hit list, would he have slept well at night during his ministry? I think he did realize it, but he also realized that his times were in his Father's hands, just as yours and mine are. Amen? Thank God for that. Do not fear is one of the most repeated commands in Scripture. It came from the lips of Jesus on more than one occasion. Remember that at his birth, the angels sang peace among those with whom he is pleased. Lack of fear and the resulting peace comes from knowing you are in a right relationship with Almighty God who watches over us. I recall an experience with a, a Jewish man. This was about uh, over 20 years ago. 
And I was just learning to dive, and one of the guys who was taking the course with me, and we went out with a group to dive, and, and you know, you all, everybody has your buddy, and you descend, and, and uh, later on, I found out, after we got back to the boat, I found he was back in the boat. He had gone down, but he had had trouble clearing his ears, so he had stayed up for a while, and by the time he got down, we were gone. And he did what he was told to do. He, he waited. You're supposed to wait and look for the bubbles. And if you don't see anything after a few minutes, you're supposed to slowly ascend. Well, while he was waiting there on the ocean floor, a big barracuda came. Now, you know, you've probably got barracuda in the store that are like this big, but they can be six foot long. And they have these gnarly little teeth that stick out from their mouth. And then another one came, and then another one came. And pretty soon there's a school of barracuda circling him. And he got nervous, and so he ascended. And he tried to go slow. He knew he'd had his training and everything, but when he got afraid, when fear took over, he ascended faster than he should have. Now, fortunately, he hadn't, didn't have enough nitrogen in his blood for that short time to cause a problem. But fear, un unreal fear, because Barracuda never attacked people, unreal fear could have killed him. One of Satan's common tools is fear. When we are in Christ, we have no reason to fear. We are in his hands. How can we walk through the world of violence and dark powers without fear? At times, we feel we're, we're all out of our element, surrounded by barracuda of one kind or another, maybe in suits and ties, knowing that our shepherd watches over us just as he watched over baby Jesus. We can be at peace. I will not fear, for thou art with me. Lack of fear and total trust in God do not mean that horrible circumstances or injustices won't take place, but they do mean that God will be with us through them and see us through, and that he will bring good out of evil. Just as the cross was the greatest injustice ever, it brought about the greatest good ever. But let's return to our big picture. The turning point of history had arrived. The creator had entered his creation, the head, the authority of Satan was soon to be crushed. But first, as the promise predicted, the heel of the offspring of the woman would be bitten. That old serpent tried to bite Jesus all through his life, but not until God's perfect time did Jesus refuse to dodge his strike. As Satan sunk his fangs through Jesus' heels into the cross, our Lord leaned back with the weight of his righteous life that was pleasing to God and utterly crushed that serpent's head. Hallelujah. Now it's just mopping up exercises. He's a defeated foe. Now he's still here to give people that choice just like Adam and Eve had. He still offers something to worship other than God who loves us and gave his life to redeem us. It's still a choice to love God and receive the redemption Jesus purchased for us. For those who do, the communion of Eden is restored. 
The image of God in man is being restored and redeemed. Death is no longer the penalty for our treason because Jesus died for us. In that manger in Bethlehem, light had come into the world, and where there is light, the darkness must flee. There, God demonstrated his ability to protect the helpless, to guard against the worst that hell can muster. The baby in the manger shows us that we have reason to trust God with our lives. Here's the example of Jesus we can follow, complete trust in God. Satan doesn't threaten God any more than a gnat threatens an elephant. The great fables and stories of all time all relate back to this one story that changed the course of mankind. You know, stories like the king dressed as a pauper going out to find his peasant wife, or the prince that kissed the sleeping beauty under the spell of the wicked witch. Every superhero that saves the world from the villain who planned to destroy mankind, all a picture of our Savior. All parables of the one true Savior, the one true superhero. Where would we be if that baby didn't come? If the hands that placed the stars in space refused to form that baby with his tiny helpless hands in the womb of Mary, we would still be waiting for God to provide a way. We would be like those who've gone before us who placed their hope in God without knowing how God would redeem them, make us right with himself. This was the only way. This baby was the mystery that God had kept hidden for the ages. As Jesus approached the cross, he asked if there was some other way, and there was none. God had to become one of us to take back the dominion over the earth, to restore fellowship with man. He alone could pay the price for our treason because he had no sin. He paid with his life so that we could live forever with him. Christianity is unique in its understanding of God. You know, Hinduism and animism have a God so imminent that he's in everything. They would say that they... They would say that created things are God, that you are God, that the mosquito is God. He's omnipresent, but he's not his creation. That makes God meaningless and impersonal. Rabbinic Judaism and Islam, on the other hand, would say God's so transcendent, in other words, he's so high and lofty that we cannot approach him. They could never see him becoming man. It's too great a step down, too too imminent, meaning too personal and close. They would say he's so far above us all that all we can do is bow as servants. And there's some truth in that as well. But there's also something very impersonal and distant about that perspective. Christianity says he is both. He is high and holy, and yet he loves us so much that he's imminently near each one of us. He became one of us, to help us see him. The baby in the manger is both transcendent and imminent God, high and holy, yet very near, caring and personally involved in each of our lives. As we look at the baby in the manger, let us remember that God is able to watch over us. 
that he is God come near to demonstrate his love for us. He was an example of fearlessness, though he was Satan's greatest foe. Fear not. God is watching over you as well. And let us also remember that he completed what he came to do. He gave himself for us. And that should cause us to know that when we give our lives for, in, in service for him and others, God will keep us until our ministry is done. We need not fear. We serve a great God, one who's great enough to draw near to us and do for us what we could not do for ourselves. When you opened your gifts this year, I hope you remembered that greatest gift. The transcendent God descended into his creation to win the battle for our souls, that we might worship him for he is good and not be deceived into worshiping that which is destructive and evil. He showed us that we can place our lives in the hands of our Heavenly Father and have no fear. He came to be our ultimate example. He came to restore what sin marred. He came to free us from death, the, our death sentence. No greater gift, that gift has ever been given or ever will be given. I hope you've claimed this gift. It's not a fable. It's the reality behind all the stories the one who occupied the manger wants to be the king of your heart. Will you allow him to be your personal, imminent God that he came to be? Amen. That's, we're going to sing a closing song, and then I'll give the benediction. <laughs>